Well, good morning again. I pray that you're glad to be in the house of the Lord. I wasn't sure when I woke up and it was uh, thundering like crazy and raining like crazy. I know it's the end of spring break. Blah, blah, blah. Um, whether you're, be at church. So glad you're here. Uh, if you're watching online, glad you're with us online and praying that God bless you. Uh, next week is Easter, and it's hard to believe, but it, it'll be two years since we had Easter together. Uh, come next Sunday, we, since last year we weren't able to meet together as a body, I pray that you'll be in the house of the Lord. I know that there are many of our older or more vulnerable that uh, are getting vaccines, and whenever God directs you and you feel comfortable coming to worship, we'd love to have you back. And of course, Easter is not a bad day to go to church. Even the heathens go to church on Easter, so, you know, why not, why not show up if you're a part of fullness? We'd love to have you. Um, this week is a busy week, a full week. Uh, every morning, 6 a.m., we're having prayer here in the building. We're going to walk through Passion Week uh, as the Gospels lay them out. And so from 6 to 7, if you want to join us online, it'll be live stream, the prayer time. It'll be reflective. It'll be a devotion, uh, more contemplative in nature, but join us in the morning. Then Thursday night and Friday night, as Scott has already mentioned, the Monday, Thursday, that'll be a communion service, and then uh, Friday night, our Good Friday service, another one of my faves of the year, uh, a, a night of shadows, and so join us. Uh, it's kind of a antithesis to the Christmas Eve service as we uh, look at the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I think it'll be a very meaningful week. Also next Sunday, we're having baptism. So if you haven't been water baptized, Easter is an awesome. Traditionally in the church, that's when people got baptized, was Easter Sunday morning. So if you haven't been water baptized, but are a follower of Jesus Christ, we encourage you to follow him in baptism. And if you'd like to join us and get baptized next Sunday, we'd love to, love to do, that as, do that as well. Um, please turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Luke. I'm going to be reading from various places in the book of Luke uh, and as well as Matthew and John. I'm not going to read from Mark. Um, Luke 19, I think that's right. I've got all three of them here. Yes, Luke 19, and uh, flip back between the various passages. Um, Queen Elizabeth was coronated in 1953, still as queen. Um, the cost of her coronation was about 2 million pounds, which translates today into about $50 million dollars for her coronation, uh, which sounds like a lot of money, and it is a lot of money. President Joe Biden was inaugurated in January. His inauguration cost the American people somewhere between 55 and $60 million. Lest you get offended, uh, President Trump's inauguration cost north of $100 million. And that's traditional for American presidents, 100 million in that area to get inaugurated. One of the most remarkable ones to me as I was reading about some inaugurations and their costs and not just but coronations is this guy from the Central African, what's now Republic, was Empire. 
His name is Bokasa I, emperor of the Central African Empire. He was first elected and then became a military strongman and then had himself crowned king. Uh, the cost of his coronation, this is in 1977, by the way, was $25 million. Now, when you compare it to the 100 million of inaugurations of American presidents and Queen Elizabeth's 50 million from 1953, it doesn't seem like it would be that much money, but the Central African Empire, or Republic as it's known now, is a landlocked country in the middle of Africa that its population is about the same as Alabama, about four million people. The average yearly income today is less than $1,000 a person. In 1977, it was probably less than $500 a person. And Bokasa I spent $25 million on his own coronation as king. Now, the thing about Bokasa I is that uh, there was no Bokasa II because two years later, he was overthrown in a coup. Um, and the nation is still in turmoil, honestly, all these years later. But when he was overthrown two years later, it was not before terrible things had happened into his country, including uh, an incident that became international news when he had 200 school children killed because they protested their school uniforms. Here's the point. Kings, queens, presidents, they all pass away. No matter how big the coronation is, no matter how big the party or how much it costs, you can't take that power with you. And over time, history has claimed leader after leader after leader. One of the days we celebrate is this day, when a carpenter, itinerant preacher, rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and people said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What they didn't recognize is that this king was different than every other king, because this was the king, the king of kings and lord of lords, the king who was establishing a kingdom that would never fail and never pass away. This day, Palm Sunday, is a day that we look at many times and we, we really sit sometimes in judgment of the people because of what they missed in recognizing the kingship of Jesus. But I would say it would be healthy for us as we look at Palm Sunday and the king riding on to look in the mirror and say, have we missed what he brings when he comes as well? Have we fully embraced who Jesus is and all that he brings when he comes? And so this morning, I want to look at Palm Sunday, the account from uh, Matthew, Luke, and John, and to examine who the king is and what he brings. Uniquely, there aren't that many incidents that are reported in all four Gospels. You know, the Gospels all have a different... It's, it's even... We're challenged a little bit as we looked at, okay, what event do we want to celebrate on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, this week? Because there's 
even in the Gospels, there's a little bit of confusion about what happened on what day and what's going on because each Gospel has a different purpose in mind. Each Gospel writer, they're reaching a different audience. And it's not that they counts don't, um, one is false and one is true. It's just when you look at them, sometimes they don't line up quite so cleanly. But one incident that's mentioned in all four Gospels is the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. So let's look at it from various perspectives. And here's the first point I want you to see about the king, that when the king comes, the king brings hope. The king brings hope. This is from Matthew. Again, I'm flipping between three different gospels here, so you can either you know, tab it, Matthew 21, John 12, Luke 19, hold on to those, or you can just read the screen. Uh, it says in Matthew 21 this, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. So far, you, you're really familiar with the story. Since the guy's ahead, you're going to find a donkey and a colt, a baby donkey. And my wife and I had this whole discussion about we didn't know that a colt, a baby donkey was called a colt. Surely it's something else. But anyway, nonetheless, it's called a colt, uh, a baby donkey is. And then Matthew goes on and he quotes from the book of Zechariah. He said this took, takes, excuse me, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's interesting that this quote is also mentioned in others that this is taking place to fulfill what was prophesied about Jesus. In fact, Zechariah wrote 500 years before Jesus ever came that this event would occur. And Matthew, who is writing to a primarily Jewish audience that Jesus is the Messiah, is saying he's fulfilling the prophetic words that were given about him way before, way before he ever came. Now, why is this a big deal? I think this is a big deal because when the word of God permeates your heart and you receive it and you walk in it, then hope rises within you. Because what is hope other than the confident assurance that what God has spoken, has said, is yet to come to pass? So when God's word is fulfilled in your life, it even makes hope rise even more. So the prophetic word given about Jesus is now being fulfilled that he is the king, he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, and it should make hope stir within us and rise within us. In the Gospel of John, on the night before Palm Sunday, on the night before the triumphal entry, we find Jesus in Bethany, which is only a couple of miles from Jerusalem. Sometimes it's hard to get the geography of these places in our head. We think they're further apart, but remember, they walked everywhere. So they, they weren't getting anywhere fast. So, um, you know, Bethlehem is only like six, seven miles from Jerusalem. Bethany is only like two miles. 
And that's at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. According to John, he spends the night before the triumphal entry with in the home of his friends. And it says in John 12 this. Meanwhile, while he's there, he's at their home, hanging out, having dinner. It says, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jesus, uh, excuse me, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. The crowd is gathering outside to see Lazarus, this guy that got raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. How did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? He said it. Lazarus, come forth. And, you know, out waddles Lazarus in his grave clothes. The word of God spoke and Lazarus was raised from the dead. How was the world created? God said let there be light, and there was light. How did Mary get pregnant? Remember this from Advent? She, God's word. No word from God is without power. Listen, people, when you receive the word of God, hope rises within you. When God's word is fulfilled, hope is confirmed. You may not see God's word come to pass in the time frame that you think it, but whenever the king comes, whenever Jesus shows up on the scene, his word brings hope. If you're here this morning and you feel like you're in a hopeless situation, a hopeless circumstance, if you feel like hope is diminished in your life, then can I say that changing your circumstances will not alleviate your hopelessness? Changing your circumstances or thinking you're going to get more of this or less of that, that's not where hope comes from. Hope comes from receiving Jesus for who he said he is. Hope comes from receiving God's word. Hope comes from believing you are what God and who God says you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's how hope comes into your life. Your circumstances may never change. Give God glory. What? The promise is not that in this world you will have prosperity. The promise is in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. Have hope. I've overcome the world. And therefore you're more than an overcomer in Christ Jesus because of what he's done in your life. Now I'm not speaking on you a miserable life. I'm not speaking on you that, oh, this is all terrible. No, I'm just saying, look, don't depend on circumstances or political leaders or whoever's in charge in Congress, the Senate or the White House, for you to have hope. That's not where your hope lies. Because as I said when we started, hope in political leaders will always disappoint because they're going to pass by. They're going to pass on. But our king rules and reigns forever, and therefore we should always be a people who walks. We walk in hope. 
So the king brings hope. Praise God. Somebody should say hallelujah. Amen. That's a great one. That'll preach. The king also brings peace when he comes. He brings peace. I'm reading from Luke 19 here. It says, those who were sent ahead of him went and found it just as he told them. Found the colt. Found the donkey. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? Jesus even told them, the owner may ask why you're untying the colt. Tell him, the Lord has need of him. So they did. They replied, the Lord needs it. <laughs> I love this. We're just taking this donkey. Hey, the Lord needs it. So it's good enough for that guy. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. By the way, Lazarus had been raised from the dead. That was a pretty good one. And other miracles that they had seen. And they start yelling and praising, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Does that sound familiar? It sounds like the angelic proclamation on the night of his birth. And now the people are screaming it. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. A lot of parts of this passage I love, but what I want to focus on right now, when the king comes, he brings peace. He brings peace. The angels recognized it. Even these yahoos on the road recognized it when he's coming along that he's going to bring peace. Now, here's the problem. We know, we know what the difficulty is. They thought the peace that he was going to bring was that he's going to come in, he's going to overthrow the Romans, Israel is going to be in control, where they're going to be restored to a position of power. That was their thought of what the Messiah was going to do. He's going to break the yokes, and we're going to rule and we're going to reign. So their problem was not that they didn't recognize that the Messiah was bringing peace, it's just they didn't recognize the kind of peace he's bringing. Once again, I I would contend and say to us, maybe we should keep looking for the kind of peace the king brings when we start talking about peace in people's lives. Maybe the peace we should pursue is the peace that comes when people come to know Jesus Christ as the one who rules their life and forgives their sins. It says in Colossians that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, how? Through his blood shed on the cross. God makes peace with us because... Of the cross. Goes on and says this in Colossians. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You were, you were at war with God. 
you're alienated from God, right? We've talked about this so many times that apart from Jesus, you're at war with God. Many people don't know they're at war with God. But by the way, war with God is not a good place. It's not a good place to be. So Jesus brings peace. When he goes to the cross and dies, we're going to celebrate the cross this week. We have been, there's a way that's been made that we can be reconciled. We can have peace with God. This is great news, people. I was at war with God. I didn't even know it. But I was at war with God. But when I come to know the one who rules my life and forgives my sins, Jesus, then I receive his blood. Now I have peace with God. Too often, again, we're like the people looking for hope in this situation, political situations or prosperity or health. That's not really where our hope lies. It's not where our peace lies either. Peace lies as a spiritual change that comes because we know Christ is Lord. I know this is a little theologically, I hope you're hanging here, because this is the good news. This is the gospel. This is why we're celebrating this whole week. That's why we're having prayer every morning. This is how we're having Monday, Thursday, where we're going to celebrate communion, the institution of communion, Christ shed blood and broken body so that we can have hope and that we can have peace. So don't just overlook this like, oh, yeah, 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 I've been in church my whole life. Because some of the least hope-filled, least peace-walking people that I've met in a long time go to church all the time. Because going to church is not the answer. You know, you can shout and wave your hands and clap and do all that stuff in worship, but if you don't receive the king for who he is, you'll walk in a lack of hope and you'll walk in a lack of peace. You may be thinking, well, this is not, that's not very uplifting. Look at this point if you think that was bad. <laughs> the king also brings judgment, which is my final point. The king brings judgment. Jesus is going into Jerusalem on a donkey. People are yelling and screaming and hallelujah and, um, you know, so much so that the religious guys get upset, make them shut up. And he says, look, if they don't praise, the, I, the rocks will cry out, which doesn't say a lot about me, does it? I'm like right above the rock. You know, I mean, my praising is just like right above what he could do with rocks if he wanted to. So there's this big worship service going on, and in the middle of it, Jesus looks at Jerusalem, and as he approaches Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, back to the idea of peace, I'm the one who could bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come, he goes on and says, when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. To me, this is remarkable that Jesus, as he's riding, according to Luke, into the city, he, his heart breaks for the city of Jerusalem because he knows they will not receive him 
for who he is. They've already rejected him, really, for who he is. I mean, you see the religious leaders rather than saying, oh, this is great. They're afraid of what's taking place. They're afraid of Jesus. And he speaks this pronouncement that basically says this city is coming down. The temple, the greatest structure where he's headed, it's going to be torn down. And in 70 AD, this prophecy is fulfilled when the, uh, the city of Jerusalem is decimated. It all is broken. It's all torn down. It's what Jesus prophesies here comes to, to pass. You may be thinking, I like the peace and hope ones better. That he brings peace and hope. But if we don't receive Jesus for who he is, we can even receive Jesus for a little bit of who he is, but not fully for who he is. Judgment is there. The religious leaders, um, remember after Lazarus, I told you he was raised from the dead in John. So in, in John 11, he's raised from the dead. And, and people, man, they're, they're coming to Jesus in droves because he raised Lazarus from the dead. And the religious leaders get together and they say this. They say, what are we accomplishing? Here's this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. This is very insightful. They say, you know, if we, if we let this go on, these people, they're going to follow Jesus. And then what's going to happen? We're going to lose our place. Oh, people. This to me is just a judgment on themselves. To speak of saying, look, I would follow Jesus, but I, if I do, I might lose my place. He might send me to somewhere I don't want to go. He might make me quit doing this or make me quit doing that or... He might, I might lose my place. I might have to quit this job. I, I may have to go do, listen, <clears throat> whenever we come to Jesus with conditions, we got problems because coming to Jesus is just fully coming to Jesus and say, you're the one who rules my life. Now, I don't think Jesus is going to, you know, make you do something strange or weird or horrible. It, it very rarely happens. It does happen sometimes, but rarely, you know, that's not like the norm. But sometimes our fear of what we've got to lose overcomes our joy at receiving the king. And instead, we shouldn't walk in fear, but we should walk in that joy. And then in one of the most remarkable lines, I'm still in... You're probably trying to follow all of this. I hope you're, I'm saying this clear enough where we can all stay together. But this is right after Lazarus has been raised. They're saying, we got to get rid of this guy. Too many people are coming. We're going to lose our place. Then one of them, Caiaphas, the high priest, who was high priest that year, spoke up. This is an incredible statement to me. He says, you guys know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. This Caiaphas, who is simply trying to protect his high priestly position, he doesn't realize that what he's saying is exactly true. He's saying it's better this one guy die than the whole nation perish. Well, 
This one guy is going to die so that the whole world can be saved and not perish. That's why God sent his son. Because he loved us so much that none should perish but have eternal life, right? So, but he's worried about his position. And so listen, you can reject Jesus and maintain your position and receive the judgment of God, or you can receive the king, his peace, his hope, what he brings when he comes, and receive the joy of God. Judgment or joy? Judgment or peace? Judgment or hope? After the triumphal entry, the priestly group, the leadership say this. This is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Everybody's going after him. We got to take some stand. And so on Sunday, everybody's worshiping, everybody's praising, everybody's going crazy. By Friday, Jesus has been crucified. Because the people in power decided we got to do something. If we don't, we, we stand to lose everything. And it, it's easy to judge, by the way, them. But again, it might be good for us to ask the reflective question, am I not giving to Jesus all of me because I'm afraid I might lose this? And instead walk in his lordship, his kingship, his hope, and his peace. I believe this judgment culminates, culminates on at the trial of Jesus when he's standing before Pilate. Now, now think about this just for one second. Think about this. The Jewish nation was established as the people of God, right? From the Abrahamic promises all throughout, they were told they're going to be a people after God's own name. They're going to be a people that will be a light to the nations. The temple is to be a place where God meets with his people, and even the Gentiles can look at it and see that God is really God. Now, they've strayed. They went off track. They, 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 they had so many times where they worshipped after other gods. They made a king rather than receiving God as king, which was the purpose. And as time goes along, they lose the truth that God is their king. So when the king comes, Jesus, the Messiah, they totally miss him. Because by this point, they're totally off the rails. The Jewish religion is no longer at this point about worshiping God. It's about hating those who we think God hates. It's turned into more of a, a racist perspective. It's not about really worshiping God. It's about legalism. It's about so many different things. And when they stand before Pilate, and I think this is the pronouncement of judgment of the day that it happens, he says, here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. They shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate asked, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests, the religious leaders, the ones who should have said, our king is God, said this, we have no king but Caesar. And I believe at that moment they pronounced judgment on themselves because they're no longer declaring the kingship of God. They are now declaring the political kingship of man. 
People, I think this is a question that we have to ask ourselves over and over again. Where does our loyalty lie? And I don't care if we're Americans or British or Central African Congo. We have one king, one Lord, one Savior. That's where our loyalty lies. Does that mean I should be a bad American? Please don't hear me say that. No. I've talked about this a lot. Be a good steward of what God has entrusted to us. All of those things about being engaged and doing. But understand that our ultimate loyalty lies. When someone says to you, who is your king? We should be able to answer, Jesus is our king. He's our one and only king. He's the one who rules our lives. Jesus prophesies that not one stone is going to be left on another. And then in the book of 1 Peter, Peter says this. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Praise God, right? When we trust in Jesus, we have no shame. We won't be put to shame. Goes on and says, now... To you who believe, that's us. The stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Paul and Peter both picture Jesus as this stone. And it's as if the stone of Jesus is in the current of time and history. And all of mankind is is streaming toward the stone that is Jesus. And we have a choice. We can either be dashed against the stone and reject him, or we can come and stand on the stone and be saved. Only two choices. If you're here today and you've never come and received Jesus as the one who rules your life, forgives your sins, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who went to the cross and paid for your sins, I encourage you to receive him. This could be the day of your salvation. Don't come on any terms where you say, "Ah, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I'll come to him with this. No, you just come to him open-handed. I got nothing. I got nothing to offer but me and receive Jesus for all that he is. For those of you who are here today and have received Jesus, I want to tell you this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Oh, holy nation, chosen people, royal priesthood, let me encourage you to declare that his name is a light that the shadows can't deny. His name cannot be overcome. The name of our king is Jesus. We worship him. We exalt him and we joy in him. Stand up with me and let's praise 
his name.